Today is February 24th, and our lesson this morning is the function of gender roles. Text of Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5, which reads as follows. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. God bless the reading of his word, and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear our message for today. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for coming to church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now, the passage of Scripture that I've quoted for a text today is one that has caused controversy in, any, in my old church whenever it was quoted. I can remember when conventional wisdom dictated that women were biblically required to wear dresses and hats in church because of Deuteronomy 22 and 5, along with 1 Corinthians 11, verse 4 through 7, which says, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesied with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Now, when I look at the deeper meaning of these passages of Scripture, I don't really see God being the fashion police dictating styles of dress. I see God using attire to make the point that he made the genders different, because he intended for them to be different and to stay different. And God calls any attempt to minimize the differences between the genders an abomination. Now, the specific type of clothing that we wear is not important in the sight of God. Jesus makes that point in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 33, which says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So I conclude that God is not overly interested in the types of fashion which with, with which we array ourselves. He does, however, in our text, decree that women's fashions and men's fashions should be different simply to spotlight the differences in the genders. But gender differences will not be eternal differences. Galatians 3, 26-29 tells us, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now the promise is the promise of eternal life in heaven, at which time we will be neither male nor female. Gender will not be an issue in heaven. Marriage which is the primary relationship between the genders, is also an earthly relationship. The Sadducees, who do not believe in life after death, challenge Jesus' teaching on life after death by relating a conundrum about a woman that had, under the statute of Leverite marriage, successively married seven brothers, each of whom left her a widow. They then questioned Jesus in Matthew 22 through 28, 22 and 28, Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. And in Matthew 20, uh, 22, 29, and 30, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. So gender differences are not eternal but they are part of our physical earthly existence. And the text that we have read clarifies that God intends for us to maintain gender differences for the remainder of our stay here, after which we will go to a place in which those differences will not exist. So since gender is temporary, why are gender differences of such great importance to God that he would decree that to attempt to blur them even by something as trivial as a tire is an abomination. Genesis 2.18 tells us, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. 1 Corinthians 11.8.9 confirms this statement, For man is not from woman, but woman for, from man. Nor was the man created for the woman, but woman for the man. So the female was created for the male. But independence of the genders from one another is not in the design of God. 
except in the minority of cases in which God has given someone the gift of celibacy. 1 Corinthians 11, 11 and 12 explains, Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as w woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. So our texts tell us that men need women and women need men. Our differing functions, strengths, and weaknesses are the reasons that we need one another. Simply because we have the ability to function outside of our need for one another does not mean that that need does not exist. The plan of God is not just that we are born, reach physical maturity, acquire the possessions of adulthood, use them, and then die. The plan of God is that we create a legacy to which we can pass on our acquired wisdom and our knowledge of him. Now in Genesis, when God decreed that man needed help, God did not mean that man needed help with any of the tasks needed to make the garden grow. God created the garden and the fruit of the trees without the intervention of man, and God could easily sustain the garden without the intervention of man. God told Noah after the flood in Genesis 8:22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night shall not cease. So God created the, God created the genders, not so that we could participate in the raising of crops, but the raising of children. Genesis 127 and 28 records, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God created male and female so that the two become partners in the creation and raising of children. God calls children without a married couple as parents illegitimate. And before the coming of Christ, illegitimacy was considered as grounds for excommunication from the fellowship of God. Deuteronomy 23 and 2 tells us, one of illegitimate births shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. So God makes it clear that marriage is for the legitimate raising of children. Malachi, in explaining to Israel why God was not blessing them, although they were making the proscribed offerings and sacrifices to him, says in Malachi 2, 14 through 16, yet you say, for what reason is the Lord not blessing us? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. So the plan of God is simple. 
God has so fixed the reproductive and maturation process that the proper nurturance of children in the normative case requires the polarity of male and female to be optimally accomplished, just as a plant needs the polarity of water and sun to grow successfully. It is optimum that children have both the nurture of, have both the nurture of both parents and that they have the demonstration of the interaction of both parents to grow into adults that can successfully duplicate the process planned by God that they have seen their parents complete in raising them. Now I can tell you that in my personal case, I decided to get married because I missed the interaction that I had with mom. I recognized, however, that I did not want to go back to being a little boy, but but I wanted that, but that that I really wanted was the type of interaction that dad had with mom. I married the first girl that I met that, like mom, was pleasant, smiled a lot, and could cook. My future wife put me at ease in our first conversation by telling me a joke. It probably wasn't the best joke that I'd ever heard, but I could not remember ever meeting a girl that was welcoming and friendly and didn't seem to want something. This girl seemed to be neither needy nor demanding, but just joked around like a regular person. Although she acted like a regular person, I could see, even from a distance, that she was a girl. There was no question about it. But the polarity between masculine and feminine roles is necessary to maintain a marital relationship. It is interesting that psychologists report that while people can theoretically justify role reversal between males and females in marriage, in practical application, role reversal tends to destroy the marriage. In the normative case, the gender distinctions are built in. To illustrate, let us look at the case of Lisa, who, because of illness, had to keep her counseling appointment by telephone. She began by saying, after 30 years of marriage, we need to work on our communications. I know that I'm bossy and demanding, and when PMS hits, I'm all of the above. I'm really trying to help our marriage, although I know that I have these behavioral traits. I know that I'm supposed to support my husband, but with all the demands placed on me and all the responsibilities that I have in the marriage, it sort of leaves me empty. And when my husband wants me to do something to support him, I don't have anything left. My needs aren't fulfilled, so I can't find a balance. The counselor replied, I don't quite understand. What exactly leaves you empty? Lisa replied, fulfilling his needs. The counselor responded, well, what needs are those? Lisa began her list saying, well, I work full time. I go to school full time. I try to take care of the house. I do the shopping, I raise the children, I pay the bill. He works and brings in an income, we both do, but I take on most of the responsibility for running the house. The counselor observes, sounds like you have a lot on your plate. Yes, I do, Lisa responded, but my husband thinks that I am the problem, and if I could just fix myself, our marriage would be fixed as well. But I think that he is part of the problem. Well, the counselor asked, what does he want you to change? Lisa replied, to not be so demanding, to not be so bossy, and I agree with that. 
So have you stopped doing it, said the counselor. Yes, I have, responded Lisa. I've really tried working on not being so demanding and to close my mouth when we are in disagreement, not to be so aggressive or forceful. But you don't have much respect for him, though, observed the counselor. Lisa hesitated. I, well, that's what he says, she said. Well, said the counselor, you don't. And I don't feel like I'm respected that much either, responded Lisa defensively. The counselor diagnosed, well, Lisa, you don't have much respect for your man. You pretty much run everything. Well, Lisa responded, yes, it's been given to me, and, but the counselor interrupted, well, I don't know if it's been given to you or you took it or you make it made it difficult for him to do it because you're kind of forceful about how things should be done. And men tend to abdicate so that they don't have to fight with their women. And that could be partially true, Lisa admitted. Another reason could be that he just didn't feel confident in doing it, and I am overly confident and said, oh, sure, I can do it, not a problem. You don't want to do it, I can handle it. So I took on all these roles and tasks early in our marriage, but now that I'm in my 50s, I'm exhausted. The counselor replied, yeah, that's pretty typical. I can understand that. So if you demurred to him in a womanly way and asked him to help you pick up the slack, that would be him rescuing you. Well, yes, said Lisa hesitantly. And he'd probably like that, prompted the counselor. Well, yes, Lisa replied, but how do I best approach that? I was going to sit down and talk to him about, but the counselor cut Lisa off. Do you know how to act like a girl? Oh, started Lisa. The conflict continued. Have you ever seen an old movie depicting Victorian times? A woman would drop her little lace hanky, and the guy would pick it up and hand it to her, and she would just thank him and tell him how wonderful he, that was. That's a ridiculous extreme, but you get my point. I get your point, Lisa said. I would feel foolish doing it, but yes, I understand your point. The counselor declared, well, Lisa, it's a shame that you've gotten to be such a worker aunt so much that you've forgotten how to enjoy being womanly. In more genteel times, men opened doors for women, treated women with respect, actually courted women to obtain their favor, and showed women the respect of making a marital commitment before obtaining sexual favor. There was a time where men were men and women were women, and each gender had a role to fulfill to take care of the other. The plan was never for people to be alone or to take on life alone. That's why God made both genders and made them not identical, but interdependent on one another. I have a peer that's a very strong, very competent, very direct woman one that doesn't pussyfoot around about things and doesn't bite her tongue. And she told me that she hasn't touched an entrance door to a public building in years. She would stand in front of a door for three hours until someone with a male body opened the door for her. She would then smile and say, thank you so much. That's so very sweet of you. Be it a total stranger or somebody she knows, she will not move until that door is opened by a man. Now, why is that? Okay, why, asked Lisa. 
The counselor replied, because she thinks that the masculine, feminine, and feminine roles are wonderful, and the respectful, playful interactions that she has with men are so enjoyable that she wants it to be the norm in her life, and so she uses her femininity at every opportunity. And I think that you have lost that. Well, Lisa Huff, I'll be honest with you. I don't like to play games, and I think that if the counselor cut her off saying, it is not a game. It is not a game. Wait a second. It is a game. And I think that it's a wonderful game. Some games make people feel great. The fact that this is a game doesn't make it meaningless or frivolous. The game is just another form of communication. A lot of very strong women think that communication means that you sit down and dictate. But communication also is that you look dreamily over your shoulder and say, sweetie, I can't do this anymore. My head is going to explode. Can you help me with this? Please rescue me. Lisa thought. Okay, she said hesitantly. So indirectly, I'm going to propose that. I'm going to state that. The counselor stopped her with a question. What are you wearing right now? Lisa replied, I'm at home sick. I'm wearing my flannel pajamas. Hmm, said the counselor. I could have guessed that. You do not treat yourself like a woman. Hence, your man has very little place in your life. You think of marriage like a business association rather than a delicious, passionate relationship between the masculine and the feminine. Yes, there are practical things that need to be done, but you also need the interplay of the masculine and the feminine. I don't know where that boundary is, Lisa said sadly. You've pushed it so far away that you're scared of it, responded the counselor. That might be true, said Lisa. The counselor continued, your husband wants nothing more than for you to remember being a woman and enjoying it. You seem to think that it's a loss and it'll make you empty. I think it'll fill you up in ways that you can't even imagine. Lisa said, I'm so empty right now that I'm desperate to try anything. The counselor said, well, then try being a woman. What would a sick woman at home call her husband for? Lisa hesitated. Well, I'm not sure. Well, let's play, the counselor responded. This is a movie. This sick woman at home, she's sniffling and her nose is red. Now, why would she have to call her man and what would she like him to do? Get a Kleenex and rub my back, offered Lisa. The counselor added, Snuggle with you. Snuggle with me, responded Lisa. Hold you and comfort you and keep you warm while you sniver, shiver and sneeze in his arms, prompted the counselor. Well, Lisa said, I don't do that because he doesn't see me in that role. No, responded the counselor. You don't do that because you don't see yourself in that role. You are his lenses. He will only see what you let him see. That's how guys are. But he's going to love it. He's not going to embarrass you, but you're going to feel stupid because you're out of practice. He is not going to embarrass you, but he will feel like someone just gave him a blood transfusion. Right, replied Lisa, and honestly, that's what I want. The counselor said, yeah, your husband is going to love this, and it won't make you feel empty. It will fill you up. Lisa responded, well, that's what I need right now. The counselor observed you're empty because you've been under lifelong marching orders 
to not have emotional needs for your husband to meet. And Lisa crying said, yes, I have, and that's why I've been so demanding. I've been asking for it in the wrong manner. I didn't know how to. I would never have thought of that approach. It's not me. It is you, responded the counselor. It is part of every woman and is glorious and wonderful. Now you can look at a man and say, pick me up over this puddle and do it now and do it the way I want it done. Or you can say, oh, you big strong man, can't you pick me up and carry me over the puddle? I don't want to get my shoes dirty. Kiss, kiss. That's game playing and is one of the lovely parts of a relationship between a woman and a man. Lisa said, you know, he's going to look at me weird. Yeah, responded the counselor. He's going to wonder who replaced you with a woman. He's going to love it. So right now, is he in the house with you? Yes, yeah, said Lisa. He's in his last week of rehab from knee surgery. He can get around and everything, but he's just not done with his physical therapy. He should be going back next week for the last time. The counselor explained, okay. You're going to call him and say, honey, I'm all achy. Can you rub my neck a little bit? Then open up your flannel jammies and push them back so that your entire shoulder is revealed. Right, said Lisa, right, the visual. And then when he starts to rub, you're going to say, oh, that feels good, said the counselor. Okay, responded Lisa, I can do that. If your husband doesn't have a heart attack, continued the counselor, call me back in the next hour. If he has a heart attack, you'll be in the ER, but assuming that he doesn't, you should have something to tell me in the next hour. Your problem is that you have pushed away a whole dimension of your being, and you need to get it back. And I think you married a nice enough man to help you do it. Yes, Lisa agreed, but I've spurned him so much. You know what, responded the counselor? Guys are easily fixable, and it's easy for you to make them forgive and forget. You just have to turn on the girl stuff. What do you think God gave it to you for? Yes, said Lisa. I just forget that God is in control, not me. The counselor replied, did you notice that when you stopped breastfeeding your children, they didn't fall off? There must be a reason for that. Now go take care of business. Lisa contacted her counselor again two hours later. She said, in my softest, most delicate voice, I called my husband and asked him to come to my room. He came, and again in my softest voice, I asked him to rub my shoulder and my neck because it was bothering me. So I disrobed and laid on the bed, and he gave me a wonderful massage. I see, said repeatedly how wonderful it felt, how good it felt, and I think you know the rest. In his words, fireworks. Good for you, said the counselor. You needed to have a little fun. Lisa responded, but my question is that you stated that I showed him that I didn't respect him. Will this show him that I do respect him? Well, said the counselor, it's a beginning. Don't you respect the man that makes your body sing? Yes, said Lisa. The counselor continued, that's a start. Now start having, having him help you with some of the things that you're overwhelmed by. Lisa responded, as a matter of fact, while he was giving you the massage, I asked him if he wouldn't mind taking over some things, and I said it softly and demurely as you suggested. He asked what, and I said that I wasn't sure yet, but the important things I'll give to him, and the important things I'll just let them go. And he accepted it. He didn't fight me back, 
He didn't argue. In fact, we were both pleasant. See, said the counselor. You were right, said Lisa. Do you feel empty anymore, asked the counselor. No, said Lisa, not right now. The counselor laughed, said, Lisa, you're on track. Get back with me every now and then so I can rev up your engine. You just have to get in touch with your feminine side. I don't want you in flannels anymore. Do a little shopping this weekend. Get a manicure and a pedicure and start treating yourself like you're a girl. Start talking to him like he's the man and you're his girl. After we were done, said Lisa, I said that I needed someone to take care of me and asked if he would take care of me, and he said yes. You've been underestimating him, haven't you, said the counselor. Perhaps, said Lisa, we'll see. The counselor responded, you don't have to give it all at once, but that's good enough. Stay in touch, Lisa, and don't forget about your feminine side anymore. Now, God, in his infinite wisdom, is a master planner. God knows the way that we were created to function because he created us. God has developed a plan for our lives and challenges us to voluntarily implement that which he commands us to do in our lives. In our willful, sinful condition, we may have the arrogance to challenge that which God tells us because his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. But God admonishes us to not be arrogant, to not be deceived into thinking that we know best, and to follow his commandments because to do so will give us the best possible outcome. We should put our desires for dominance aside and follow the commandments of God, regardless of how trivial or counterintuitive that they may seem to us, because God is the one that determines the outcome of our actions. And God's master plan is that we stay within the confines of our gender roles. He tells wives to obey their husbands and husbands to love their wives, not because he is a male tyrant that wants to subjugate woman, women, but because he has made us. He understands the bigger picture and knows that the gender roles that he created will produce the best for us over time. He wants our marriages to be fulfilling, whether we think that his advice is the best advice or not. That, however, is not the complete extent of the plan that he has made for us. Not only does God love us and have our best interests at heart, but he wanted us to know the depth of his love beyond the shadow of a doubt. So he came to the earth as a man born of a woman. He lived a perfect and sinless life as an example of how we should then live. And then, in order to make atonement for the sins that we have committed, gave himself to die at the hands of sinful men in the most brutal way possible as a sacrifice. No longer is our understanding of God tied to the ancient testimonies of men who received his word as private prophecy, but God made his intentions for us known on the stage of world history, dying the most public and brutal of deaths, followed by the most public and miraculous of resurrections from the dead. Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross so that we would have the assurance that the instructions given to us in his word, the Bible, are trustworthy. 
the truth of his death and resurrection are documented beyond question. Only the antecedent assumption that the record is false could cause anyone to doubt its veracity. And if there's any event in history that we can count on as being proven true by the historical method, it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died so that our sins could be forgiven and rose from the dead so that we could have enough confidence in his word to live the lifestyle that he instructs. As we go down from this place, let us do so. Let us resolve to love one another as he has loved us, and let us further resolve to show that love by playing the roles in our marriages that he has given us to play. Philippians 2, 1 through 11 instructs us, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning for this lesson for uh, for your separation of the genders in, in their characteristics and for uh, the, the delightful and the distinctive and the lovely way that we have to interact with one another. And help us to maximize our response to one another in those ways. That our marriages might not just be functional uh, coming together of us to share resources, but that they might be emotionally supportive that there might be the, thing, the type of thing that you had in mind when you created the genders with those delicious differences that we have that we can enjoy with one another. And now, Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today, and we ask you that you give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross arising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Let us pray. 
Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us another opportunity to come out to your house and to discuss and to listen to your word. And we ask you, Lord, that uh, you'd help us with it and help us to live according to that which you have given us to live by. Lord, we're praying for Dr. Allen and those whom he's concerned about. We're asking you to continue to bless in his family. We're asking you that uh, you bless in Sister Allen's family as she's uh, not here today. And we ask that you continue to bless the store and bless uh, Seneca and Takika uh, who are in town once again. And we ask you that you would uh, give them clarity of mind that they might be able to straighten up their, their path and walk on the straight path. We're praying, praying uh, for our brother Willie Wilson, who is still undergoing treatment for colon cancer, and continuing in her prayer for her father, who is still recovering uh, from his uh, diabetic episodes. And so we ask you, Lord, that you bless those individuals and all that she has asked us to pray for. We ask you that you go with them, stand by them. The ones that are in the hospital, we ask you that you be in those sick rooms, and the ones that don't know you in the pardon of their sins, we ask you that you would. Allow them to be enlightened about your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Now I'm praying for those whom, about whom my wife is concerned. Of course, we're praying for Paul and asking you to continue to bless him. And also for her mother who is afflicted with a cold this week. And we're asking you that you'd allow that to, to pass by her. Give her the, the, uh, the proper medicine that will take care of that. And uh, let her enjoy her activities even with that condition. And allow her to uh, go around in a warm place that she might be able to uh, do that which is required uh, to recover from that. And we're also praying for uh, the others on, on my wife's list as well. Continue to bless all that are there, and Mother G and Mother Versa as well. Uh, go, go with them and stand by. Praying for Rick, who's back, on, uh, back in uh, Germany now. We're asking you, Lord, that you'd allow his unit to stay there and that you'd allow the war to progress in such a fashion that they're not, they don't have to be recalled back to the front. We ask you, Lord, that you'd also bless his young marriage and uh, give, his, give him the opportunity to communicate sufficiently uh, with, his with his young wife to maintain that relationship, although they are far apart, one in our country and one in Germany. So we just ask you, Lord, that you'd allow that long-distance relationship to remain steady. Also praying for Eric and Amanda as they come to the end of their gestation period. And we ask you, Lord, that uh, you'd allow Amanda to uh, go through this experience uh, and have a good outcome. Allow everything to go well. Let it just be a routine situation for the doctors and the nurses. Let nothing untoward happen. Let them not have to plot any special skill, but just let life go on. And then allow the child to be healthy and allow them to enjoy the time uh, that they have uh, and, and, in raising him. And we're also him or her. And we're also praying, Lord, that uh, you continue to bless them in their occupational pursuits. Uh, give them the technical skill that they need to do well uh, on their end. For continuing in prayer for Brother Edwards, and we're asking you, Lord, that uh, you keep blessing him and his family. And, uh, we ask you that you give his son, who's out uh, in an athletic endeavor today, uh, competence in that endeavor, that he might do well and continue to progress in, in, uh, with his team and that the team might do well as well. And we're praying for his wife and for all of his family, his, his uh, grandmother in particular, asking you that you continue to bless them. We're praying for our Brother Lee and those about whom uh, he and his wife are concerned. And we're also asking the Lord that you bless Cedric as he uh, goes back to school this week, uh, that you give him uh, the mind to concentrate on that which the teachers are giving him, that he might just absorb the information 
so that when test time comes, he can give it back to them in such a way that will allow them uh, to be thoroughly impressed by his efforts. And we're praying for those whom Brother Lee is, uh, is asking us to pray for. We're thanking you very much, Lord, that Brother Dunnings is doing well and that his condition has come to a resolution. And we're continuing in prayer for Alan Brace and starting in prayer for Brother Larry White, asking you, Lord, that, that you'd bless them and allow their uh, various uh, cancers to be healed. We ask you, Lord, that you give the doctors knowledge and give them skill, give them that which they need to affect that healing. And then we ask you that you let down just the hem of your garment because we know that just one touch of it made the woman with the issue of blood for 15 years whole. So we just ask you, Lord, that you go with those men and stand by them. We pray for all that uh, Brother Lee and Sister Lee have on their list. And we ask you that you go into those places, a sick room and and uh, our recovery rooms or the rooms of bereaved families' hearts so that you bless them all. Let them know and feel your care. Praying for Brother and Sister McClure as well, Lord. We're thanking you that they're here and asking you that you continue to bless them and uh, that you bless their children who are in college. And we ask you, Lord, that you give them uh, both the mind to study and the mind to stay on the straight and narrow. We, we know, Lord, that there may negative influences around, but we ask you that you would insulate them, put your hedge of protection around them. Just keep them, keep them in the right path, that they might have a good report at the end of the term for their parents and that they might be able to uh, complete this academic year uh, with, with, good, with a good record and able to go on to the next level. And we pray for all those that uh, the McClure's are concerned about. We ask you that you continue to bless the family of Veronica Owen and just go with them and stand by them as well. Uh, Lord, I'm thanking you for my end of the family, asking you that you continue to uh, allow Dad's uh, uh, vision to improve on the one side and as he's preparing to go on under the other side. We just ask you, Lord, that uh, you make that another routine day, even as you did with the first time. Uh, just let things go well. Let everything go uh, as, as is planned by the doctors. Let nothing untoward happen. We ask you, Lord, that you bring him out of that in the same way you brought him out of the first one with a good full, uh, full recovery and better vision. We're continuing in prayer for, for Marvin, Uncle Jab, and Aunt Elizabeth, uh, Aunt Jane, Uncle James, and Aunt Barbara. We ask you that you bless her as she's going through her Alzheimer's disease situation. And we ask you that you give her peace and calmness. Allow those uh, synapses that appear to be deteriorating to, uh, to regenerate spontaneously and just let them come back in a bring her back to herself, Lord, and we know that we know that you have the power to do all things, and so we're calling on you in that case that you would bless them according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Praying for Naomi and uh, for Brother Bowie, who we've heard has just had another uh, transplant. We just ask you, Lord, that you continue to allow him to recover from his second transplant experience and allow this particular kidney to take and to hold and to take care of him. We just thank you for that, Lord. We're praying for the Northerns down in Houston and for Brother Perkins down in uh, Louisiana, those young men who are raising all those young children. We just ask you, Lord, that you give them and their wives and their families strength, help them to raise them in the way that they should go so that when they get old, they will not depart from it. We're asking you, Lord, that you continue to go to Brother Sippet over in Iraq, give him the good word to give to the troops that he might be able to bless them over there and then allow him to come home safely at the end of his tour of duty. And now, Lord, we thank you for this place that you've given us here, for uh, the, the methods that we have for communicating your word. And we ask you that you would 
Continue to give us your word in such a manner that it would be meaningful to the hearers. And now, Lord, we ask you that you would just bless us as we go down from this place. Give us traveling mercies and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And Lord, I pray for my wife, who's the love of my life. I ask you to, that you would continue to bless us and bind us together with cords of love that cannot be broken. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Jesus Christ lived a passionate life. When he looked at situations and circumstances, he tackled them in a passionate way. When it came for his time to go to the cross, he was prepared. And it was a passionate experience as he walked up Golgotha's hill. He stayed on the cross and he spoke the words that he spoke there with passion. And then he hung his head in the locks of his shoulder and he died. And then on that Sunday morning, they, when the stone was rolled away, he rose. He came back and he spoke to his disciples and incited them in such a way that when they spoke the first time about his resurrection, 3,000 folk came to be with the Lord. He was a passionate man that lived a passionate life and we ought to emulate his example and be passionate with one another. So let us remember all that Jesus Christ did for us and let us remember him now as we eat and drink together. And I'm in the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest on the Bible with us now henceforth and forevermore. Let every heart say, Amen.